Well, how are you doing? Hope you're doing well. My name is Nate Bush. Good to be the lead pastor here at New City. Glad that you are joining us today. Uh, I want to, to let you know I've got a really big announcement. I mean, just a powerful, awesome, good news announcement. And if you're new with us, this is a good morning uh, to be tuning in. Uh, right before the pandemic hit, we started a, a, an initiative we called Be Good News. And Be Good News is all about starting good news conversations all over the city by being good news people. Uh, I, I know you probably have noted this, maybe, maybe you haven't, but I, I've been noting this, that COVID-19 was not a surprise to God, although it was a surprise to me, and I was, <coughs> quite frankly, disappointed that the pandemic disrupted uh, the flow of our Be Good News initiative. I was really excited and, and enjoying the momentum that we were creating as we were moving into the initiative. Uh, part of the initiative was some, raising some funds for uh, the next two years of ministry impact at New City. And I want you to know something that I, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking about the season we're in, I've been evaluating the season we're in, and God has us in this season of be good news during the most profoundly bad news season we've ever lived through. I mean, that's a pretty interesting observation. I mean, big good news, I think, is, was God's providence for us, that he has us in this initiative where we are calling the whole church to be good news when there's so much bad news going on around us. Uh, we do believe at New City there is a good news solution to the bad news problems of the world and that God's called us to be that good news solution. So here's the big announcement, the exciting announcement. Uh, we decided even though the pandemic was happening, even though we were not meeting in person, we were meeting only through this virtual platform, uh, that we were going to continue on and press on and do uh, and, and get started. We're going to go through a startup phase with our uh, initiative, our Be Good, Be good News initiative. And I want to tell you what the number is. I want to tell you what our church has committed to the next two years of ministry impact at New City Church. Uh, the number is, is 80 cents. Wait, wait, oh, that's not right. Uh, 80 cents is part of the number. <laughs> the number is right, $1.9 million, right? So, so what, $1,908,425.80 uh, cents. That brings us about 68% of our stated goal during a global pandemic, and that's praiseworthy. I really believe that we are on track to be where we need to be in this two-year initiative. In fact, I'm convinced of this. I'm convinced 100% of our church uh, is, the community is committed to being good news. I believe that. Uh, there's nobody who said, I'm opposed to be good news or being good news is a bad idea. I mean, 100% of our church has said, yes, we want to be good news, but 100% of our church wasn't yet ready to say, I can make a financial commitment to the Be Good News initiative. Uh, that's okay. I mean, it really is okay. We are in uncertain times and everybody can't make the commitment they may have wanted to make. Uh, but we're not going to stop calling the church to be good news for people in the city with our lives. That's what the initiative is calling us to. And if you want to know more about it and you're, you're new to New City, you can go to begoodnews.church and you can find out all kinds of information about what I'm talking about here in the Be Good News initiative. And so praise God that we have uh, almost $2 million committed to this initiative, and I feel like we are right on track for what God has in store for us in the future. So we're calling this next season that we are going into a startup phase as it applies to Be Good News. The startup phase involves a couple of things. One is starting your elevated giving. So if you've made a commitment to Be Good News and you're wondering, when do I start? Uh, 
giving that elevated giving, now's the time. We're in the startup phase. Uh, if you have a one-time gift to give uh, and you're wondering when should I give it, when would be the best time uh, to give it, uh, this is a good time to give it. We are looking at a closing date uh, in, uh, in not too far in the distant future. We're about a month away uh, from kind of really seeing everything come to fruition on the facility that's a part of the Be Good News initiative. And so we are moving forward, by the way, in every area of the initiative uh, for people in the city with our lives. We are taking steps forward in every one of those areas of the initiative. Uh, and I also want you to know during the startup phase, you can still pledge to this two-year initiative at any time. And so as times of uncertainty become more certain for you, you can jump in the stream at any moment you want to jump in the stream uh, and let us know. You can go to begoodnews.church and just let us know. Uh, or you can just start elevating your giving and, and do so in faith. Uh, we would so appreciate you jumping in at any time that you feel the Lord is leading you to do that. All right, so be good news. What is it? Be Good News is about starting good news conversations all over the city by being a good news people. And so we are asking you to commit, all right, to commit everyone, 100% of New City, commit to being a good news church. And I, I, am, an, I, I am fully convinced, uh, every single person I've talked to at New City is 100% in on being good news. Uh, we are all in in the ways that we can be in at this time, and I understand that. And we will be in at different levels as time progresses, and I understand that too. And so I am thrilled today uh, to say that we are in a place uh, that is really, really good for advancing the kingdom work at New City Church. So I just want to praise God for a second and pray about that, and then we'll press on. Uh, Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for the generosity of New City Church during uncertain times, you have proven yourself over and over again to be a God of certainty. Uh, we, don't have to, uh, we don't have to second guess you ever. Uh, you are faithful and we can trust you in your faithfulness. Uh, thank you for being unwavering. Thank you for being trustworthy. Thank you for being true. Thank you for allowing us to, uh, to have a, a God to depend upon who is dependable. And we praise you in the name of Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. All right, so now we are in a series called Hold On. And one of the big ideas of the series is, uh, <laughs> is that we need to hold on to the one who's holding it all together. And uh, we've got, you know, a very challenging time that we're all going through right now. And sometimes it's hard to hold it all together. And so we have to hold on to the one who does hold it all together. Uh, maybe you have had this experience uh, in your life in recent days. I have. Uh, do, do you ever have, uh, have a hard time con controlling your thoughts? Uh, just there's so much to think about. Uh, I, I've had actually thinking um, Thinking fatigue, I don't know if this, this makes any sense to you, but I've had thinking fatigue uh, lately just because there's so much to think about related to the pandemic and paying attention to the news and being up on what's gonna happen next and what is phase one gonna include and what is it not gonna include and what does it mean 10% uh, uh, you know, of people can gather at church and how do, you, uh, how do you apply right principles of, of just uh, caring for the neighbor and loving uh, one another and I just keep thinking and thinking and thinking about the, the situation that we're in and my thoughts are swarming and our thoughts, they tend to swarm around a, a center of thinking that has high emotional temperature. And so whatever has a high emotional temperature in your life, your thoughts tend to, to swarm around them. Uh, but I want you to know something. Jesus frees us, at least he frees our mind, from the most damaging thought swarms. And there are thought swarms that are damaging when our thoughts just swarm around centers that are really unhealthy in our lives. You see, our unhealthy thoughts tend to swarm around our insecurities, which have high emotional temperatures around 
fear and guilt and shame. And so if you have a high emotional temperature around fear or guilt or shame, our thoughts will tend to swarm around those things. When Jesus canceled the debt with its legal demands, what he did was he nailed all of our insecurities to the cross. And what that did was it, it settled the swarm. It, it settled the anxiety and the worry. It, it lets our mind just, just kind of have a rest. When, when you read Colossians 2.14, we studied this passage last week, he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands. What that means is he did away with all the things that our thoughts are tempted to swirl around. And look, look, Every time your thoughts begin to swirl around an insecurity like fear, guilt, or shame, what happens in the Christian mind that's tuned in with the Holy Spirit is the Christian mind says, hey, as your thoughts are swarming around this fear, guilt, and shame, Jesus covered it. Uh, I, I know that's related to a sin in your life or a brokenness in your life or a failing in your life. Jesus covered it. In fact, every one of our failures increasingly elevates the glory of Jesus. Uh, you see in Romans 5, 20 and 21, uh, now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Uh, what, what Paul teaches here in Romans is he says that every, every time sin increases, grace abounds. It, it's just like every time you have a sin in your life all, and, and the enemy points out that sin, we talked about this last week, the enemy points out that sin and says, look at your sin. The Holy Spirit says, look at Jesus, he's covered your sin. The Holy Spirit is constantly reminding us about the truth of God's word that, that you can't out the grace of God. That, that every time your thoughts are tempted to swarm around a sin or a fear or, or guilt or, or shame or an insecurity in your life, the Holy Spirit just reminds you that you are secure in Jesus. He's covered everything, that, that, that all, every debt that you've, <laughs> that you've ever accumulated in life. He's covered it, all of your shortcomings. He's overcome them. Now you might object to this by saying, isn't this just easy believism? <laughs> I mean, what, it just it doesn't, it sounds too good to be true. Does this exclude any motive for moral behavior, good moral behavior? I mean, if God's just there to forgive your sins, then what incentive do you have to living a good life? Now, Paul addresses the objection in Romans 6 1. I think he does in the passage we've read today. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? <laughs> he hears the objection. So do we, do we just keep on sinning so that grace may just abound? No, no, he says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? He says you've had a, a radical life change. You've died to the old self, dominated by sin. You're alive to a new self, dominated by the grace of God. High-producing people have a hard time with this. You see, high-producing people are often high-producers, because at the center of their motivation is the fear of failure. In fact, the fear of failure is a driving force for their high performance. And high-producing people struggle with the gospel because they cannot find in it a rationale for their success addiction. And we have to call it what it is. Those of us who have addiction to success have that addiction because of fear driving us to, to work, 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 work to prove our worth and significance. Grace is not opposed to success and, and striving, but grace changes the motivation for it. Uh, there, there is a kind of, of striving for success that is an old life dynamic. Colossians 3.3, 3, you have died, and your life is, is hidden with Christ and God. 
Paul in Romans, no, you don't live that way anymore because you died to that old way. See, Jesus changes our earthbound and self-centered motive into a heaven-bound and other-centered motive. He, he flips the script. Listen again to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. He says, change your mindset. Don't have earthbound, self-centered thinking. Have heaven-bound, God-centered, and other-centered thinking. And Jesus changes everything about your life. He changes who you seek and, and, and how you think. And he changes what you feel, even. And that's what I want to talk to you about today from the text. Who you seek, how you think, and what you feel. Let's talk first about who you seek. Listen to the, again to Colossians 3.1. Listen to the language. If you then have been raised with Christ, what do you do? If Jesus has rescued you and saved you and your sins have been covered and you're a recipient of his grace and his righteousness, what do you do? You seek the things that are above. Why? Because that's where Christ is. You, you seek Jesus and Jesus' things. Now John Calvin has famously said, the human heart is an idol factory. Always trying to build some idol in the life to, to wrap your significance around. See, we are not looking, we are not merely looking for idols to worship. That's not how the heart works. We are looking for idols to treat the pain caused by our insecurities. What happens is the, the heart that hasn't found its significance completely and wholly in Jesus, that heart has insecurities all over it because those insecurities are wrapped around shortcomings and failings that we're worried about being exposed or that, we're, that we feel this great need to try to overcome. And what happens is we create idols, fashion idols in our lives that we can serve and worship uh, in the hopes that we can overcome those insecurities. And the text is telling us you have already died to those earthly ways. Like you've died to them. But the text is also saying, you, that is the reality, you have died to them in Jesus. But you're living in this here and not yet reality. In this here not yet reality, you still have some work to do. So you have already died to the earthly ways, but you also must put them to death. You, you gotta live who you really are. You see it in Colossians 3.3, 3, you, for you have died. And your life is now hidden with Christ. You have died, it's It's happened. But then you see in Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And so, yes, both are true. You have died. Like your true status with God is having died and been buried and risen with Jesus. And you possess his righteousness. Your sins have been covered once and for all. That's your true status. That's who you really are. But it's not fully realized yet. And you're in this here and not yet space. And in this space, you have to be putting to death the things that are of the flesh, the earthly things in life, the self-centered things in life, the idolatry of life. See, you cannot put to death, though, the things that you cannot name. And you gotta name it. You gotta be able to call it out. And so Paul gives us some help here in Colossians 3, 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Now he's gonna name them. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He does more than name them. He gives us a pathway. You see, sin travels a predictable path. And he says, I want you to show you the pathway. It starts at idolatry. It moves 
moves to covetousness, and then to evil desire, then to passion and purity, sexual immorality. And so you see the list here goes from general to specific. So let's, let's just look at it and see if you can identify a pattern that you may have seen in the life that you live. Let's take sexual immorality, for example. Let's just say, let's just put next to sexual immorality an affair. How does this work? How, do, how, does, how does this outline help us understand how, how, how an affair, how that sin is given birth from idolatry? Well, that sexual immorality didn't start with an affair. There was a process. There was a pathway that was followed. There was some impurity. Maybe that impurity showed up in flirtation. Doing things that were wrong, but just little things. Not the full-on thing, just little things. Just tempting just a little bit of impurity. Where did that impurity come from? Well, it came from passion, or more specifically, lustful thoughts. That lust of the flesh is sort of that imagination, you might say. So giving your mind, letting your mind entertain sinful ideas, and then, then testing the waters with those sinful ideas, and then giving birth to a full-on sin. <laughs> well, what are, what are the evil desires? Well, the the word evil desire can be translated uh, as, as over-desire, uh, inordinate desire. In other words, there's this, this, this kind of desire that's developed in the, in the heart that's kind of consuming. It's, it's an over-desire. It may be even a desire for a good thing that, that has become an ultimate thing. And so this over-desire, where did that come from? Well, it came from covetousness, or you could even say here, jealousy. This idea that you're seeing something you, you don't have, but you feel like you gotta have it. In fact, the idol has said something to you. It said something like this, like you gotta have it for your significance. You gotta have it for your worthiness. You gotta have it so you can feel good about yourself. And so you begin to be jealous of those who have it. And so you start to covet. That coveting gives, gives birth to evil desire. Gotta have it, gotta have it. Over desire, gotta have it. That, that leads to, to passionate imagination. Uh, just sort of a, a, a heart that's, that's run by emotional sort of, sort of um, um, emotion-ignited uh, uh, imagination for what could be. And then that gives birth to impurity and then sexual immorality. You see, at the root of, 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 of sin, the pathway that sin follows is, is at the root of it, or the top of it, you might say, is, is worship. Now, this could be worship of all kinds of things. It could be worship of the ideal marriage, or the ideal spouse, or uh, the, the ideal, the ideal uh, status in life, or the ideal, and you can, just, you can fill in the blanks. A worship of some ideal that you convince yourself, or the idol convinces you, that if you, you gotta have it to feel significant, if you didn't have it, you wouldn't be significant. And what begins to happen is you begin to covet those who have it. You begin to have this over-desire for that, and then you begin to develop passion about it, and then impurity, little impurities, little impurities start showing up in your life that give birth to the full-blown thing. See, idolatry plays on your self-centered desires. It just plays on them. You are already dead to these idols, the text says. Already dead to them, whatever they may be. And I gave you an example of what they could be, but they could be a number of things. You're already dead to these idols, so why, do you, why don't you start putting them to death? In other words, live who you are, really are in Christ. You have died, Colossians 3.3, Colossians 3.5. Put to death, therefore, the things that are not who you really are. 
By the way, the text gives us some hope here. One day, one day in the future, one day, you will be everything you were made to be. You will. One day you'll have the feeling when you look in the mirror, I'm exactly who I ought to be. You'll have that feeling. You see it here in Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also, really key, you also will appear with him. How will you appear with him? You will appear with him in glory. (laughs) You'll be who you were meant to be. Isn't that good news? One day, all the unsettledness of my, in my spirit, all of my insecurities will be gone for good once and for all. You see, discipleship is following Jesus, living, living the gospel, living who you really are, is continually putting off the things that are not you and putting on the things that really are you. That's what discipleship is. So you see in verse nine, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self with it, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So you take off all the things that are not you. You put on all the things that are you that are fashioned after Jesus who created you. See, spiritual formation then. <laughs> okay, here we go. Spiritual formation requires honesty and humility. Why? Because you don't always see the things that you need to put off. You, you don't always see the things that you have sort of put on over life that are not really you, that are not really you and Jesus. And every so often you need somebody in your life to admonish you. You need somebody in your life to, to confront you and say, you have something on right now that is not of Jesus and you need to put it off and put him on. You need to put it to death because you've already died to it and live for Christ. You see, the gospel gives you extraordinary confidence to look at yourself. This is, this to me is one of the most profound things about the gospel, just personally, how it serves me. The gospel gives you extraordinary confidence to look at yourself because you can look at your flaws and know they don't define you. You can look at your shortcomings and know the grace of Jesus has overcome them. When you look at yourself through the lens of the gospel, you can see your darkest moments under the brightest lights and know that Christ has covered it. And so you can be honest. And so you can look around inside yourself. You can be confronted by a caring brother or sister and you can start putting to death the things that need to be put to death in you. So Jesus changes everything. Who you seek. Are you seeking Jesus, your savior, or some idol who's producing within you all kinds of strife? Jesus changes how you think. Listen to Colossians 3.2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. It's a mindset. The gospel way is a mindset, a way that you set your mind. You see, although Jesus is your actual Savior, you can still live like something else is your functional Savior. And you can do so by not 
thinking properly about who you are. So I want to just give you a few questions. Just some questions to, to apply to how you think, how your mind is set, okay? Uh, to identify your functional savior, you can ask these questions. What is displayed? Why is it displayed? What am I not believing about God that is true of him? By, by what is displayed, this is what I mean. Uh, sometimes uh, therapists will say, uh, how are they showing? Meaning, you're looking for not only what a person is saying, but what they're showing you. Like what they're revealing about themselves. In the text, he says, do not lie to one another. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with this practice. Do not lie to one another. In other words, when you are living not in line with the gospel way, and you're living in line with the old self and not the new self, deceit is one of the things you'll show. Then he says, but now you must put them all away. In verse 8, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. In other words, you can know you're living in the old self when that coveting of the heart, that idolatry, that jealousy, that inordinate desire, what it does in you is it produces a profound sense of discontentment that makes you so angry. It fills you with so much wrath. It makes you feel malice towards others. In fact, slander and obscene talk from your mouth flow out of you because you're just so bitter about everybody else who has the life that you wish that you had or you thought you should have. And what it begins to show in your life, what begins to be displayed in your life is really unhealthy. He says, put to death therefore, in verse 5, the things that, uh, that are earthly, like the sin of sexual immorality. Sometimes the things that we're showing is just blatant sense. Let me just say this, okay? This is, this is hard to say, uh, but I think it needs to be said. We are under extreme pressure right now. Like, you are under extreme pressure. Just acknowledge that. Uh, the, the, the pandemic, the stay-at-home orders, the, the, the challenging political climate... I mean, you just you can add to the list over you know just worry, stress, the anxiety of it all, the homeschooling. I mean, we are under enormous pressure right now. And when you are under pressure, you should expect to see things in yourself that you wish were not there. They're going to show up. I don't want to say this either, and I didn't plan to say it but in my notes, but I should say it just now. Um, you should plan to see things in culture and in society that you wish that weren't there. Because pressure doesn't always bring the best out of us. Sometimes it brings the worst out of us. And what you should expect to see in society and in lives of people around you and the lives of the people in your, in your home is that pressure will often display unhealthy things. And so we need to know how to deal with it. We need to know how to address it. We can't address it completely in society, but we can address it here in our own hearts. We can address it in our, in our homes that we're pastoring. So why is it displayed? Is it your, <laughs> your, your desperate and insecure old self just showing up? 
Have you put some things on that are old self that you need to take off and then start putting on the new self? Are there things in your life you need to put to death? Listen again to verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Sometimes when it shows up in our life, things that we wish that weren't there, but they are showing up, sometimes we have to pull the thread to see how deep it goes. And what I mean by that, we've got to pull the thread to see, is, is this just, what, what is this, this thing that's showing up in my life? Is it connected to some, to some idolatry? See, idols usually offer something to you that you're convinced that God is keeping from you. It's at the root of, of almost all of our sinful behavior is some form of unbelief. And idols exploit our unbelief. Idols will, will, will have you convinced that God's not going to take care of you during this time. That God is, is not really sovereign or he's not really good. That you can't trust that he's powerful and in control. That you can't trust that he's good, that he loves you. And idols will exploit those ideas. And, and the Bible continually renews you in the knowledge that God is fully powerful and capable and he's good and he loves you. You can trust him. What is displayed? What's, what's showing right now? Is it old self or new self? Why, why is it there? Is it because I'm not living in light of the new self? Am I giving in to the old self? Am I, am I giving in to idolatrous worship in my life? Am I, do I have unbelief about God and his goodness or God and his power? So what am I not believing about God that's true of him? Because discipleship is moving from unbelief to belief in every area of your life. And sometimes we just need to read the scriptures about God's surpassing power and read the scriptures about God's goodness. We just need to bathe in the text so our hearts can be renewed by the knowledge of God so we can know he is good. And there are symptoms of belief. Symptoms like love and harmony and peace. So there, there are some symptoms of that old self. Anger, malice, strife. Uh, those, are, those, those are symptoms. There's some symptoms of belief. Listen to the text in verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love and harmony, I want that. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So how do I do it? How do I get that kind of love and harmony and peace? Well, God has given us a gift, you see. To work the gospel into your life, you need some things. You need good Bible teaching. You need gospel community. You need to sing songs with other believers that are anthems of truth that you can rally around, that you can proclaim together, that you, you, can, say, you can say beautiful things about God and who he is. Read it in verse 16. Let the word of, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So what do you need? You need word-centered teaching. You need community, kind of community that admonishes you. 
helps you identify old self-living and new self-living. You need to, to be singing songs that inspire the heart. See, the church, I believe this with all my heart, the church is the best thing going for the renewal of the world. I mean, I, I am... I am 100% confident that the church is the best thing going for the renewal of the world. But we need, we need to be on the front lines of hope in this season of life. We need to be offering things that, that people need, like love unconditionally, harmony and peace. Like We need to be the kind of people that are not sowing cords of division, but are putting on display love of the neighbor, the kind of love of the neighbor that brings about harmony and community and peace, shalom to the world. And I want to encourage you and challenge you here, friend. You are a priest. Your home is a church, and your neighborhood is your parish. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. That's what you are. I should, let me just, I, I'm going to soapbox for a second. Man, I didn't plan this in my notes, and I've probably gone too long already, but here it goes, all right? The, the, church, the church has not been canceled. <laughs> like, we are meeting right now together as a community. We're meeting, but not only that, your home is being shaped into, into an outpost of Christian ministry. And if you haven't known it yet, the Holy Spirit of God has said, you're a priest, what would happen if you started seeing yourself as a priest in the context of your home and you started pastoring one another and, and living in light of the word? Do you think there'd be more love and harmony and peace in your home? Come on. Jesus changes everything. <laughs> Who you seek, how you think, what you feel. You see, idolatrous worship that focuses on what you don't have but must have, that's how idols work. You don't have it, but you need to have it for your salvation. Idolatrous worship that focuses on what you don't have, but must have, produces the worst in human emotions. We've read them already. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. And there are two aspects, okay, Two aspects of the gospel that change how you feel. One of them is the completeness of the gospel. The other is the equity of the gospel. Both are addressed in Colossians 3.11. He says, here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. He's complete. He's everything you need. And in all, he's chosen each one of us, Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. He's chosen no matter what your background is, your story, your ethnicity, uh, your socioeconomic background, no matter what your, what your narrative is, how lost you were before you came to Christ. Look, we're all, Christ is in us all equally. And the completeness and the equity of the gospel, they, they change us. Every Christian was equally damned by their sin and equally saved by their Savior. Every Christian was equally damned by their sin. We are equal in that regard. 
And every Christian is equally saved by their Savior. We are equal in that regard. You see, when Jesus becomes your everything, when Jesus collectively is our everything, we do not need to compare ourselves to anyone about anything. I just want to say it one more time. When Jesus is our everything, we do not need to compare ourselves to anyone about anything. In other words, Christ is all and in all. Like we are, we are completely satisfied equally in him. I mean, there is there's, there's zero room in Christianity for prejudice and racism. Zero. There's, there's nowhere in the gospel a provision for those who are more saved because of their ethnic background or their, their, their family background or their religious background. No, outside of Christ, we are damned in our sin, but in Christ, we are equally saved by our Savior. Christian worship that focuses on what you already have in and through Jesus, it produces the best in human emotion. This is what our world needs right now. Put on, then. All right, so put off the old self. Put it to death. Put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. In this season of COVID-19, could I just add something to this application here? Bearing with one another who have different feelings about how we should progress through the crisis. Forgiving one another as Christ has forgiven you. Jesus changes everything. Who you seek, how you think, what you feel. And the secret to the change your life needs is knowable. Here's the secret to the life change that you need. Worship and community. I want you to listen. There's, there's a buzzword in the final three verses of Colossians 3. I want to see if you can hear it. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You see, in worship, bitterness and jealousy are replaced with gratitude 
thanksgiving. Because in worship, you're elevating what God has done for you on your behalf. And you remember that his salvation is complete. He is everything. And he has filled every one of us who are believers. It is complete and it is equal. So the motive for Christian excellence then is thankfulness. That's what changes the Christian. Overwhelming sense of gratitude. He hints at how this works in the human heart in the text when he says, we forgive as we've been forgiven. Or as we've been forgiven, we forgive. <laughs> in other words, as <laughs> the closer we get to Jesus and the good news about the gospel, the more that good news flows out of your life. And so if you want peace and harmony and love in your life, then you need to put off the old self, put on the new self and get really close to Jesus. And you do that <laughs> through worshiping with your church. All right, so we end our services with three movements. Generosity, communion, and prayer. Communion is on your own uh, during this season. You can take the, the bread and break it. Remember Christ's body broken for you. You can take the cup and just remember his blood spilled for you. It's one of the ways that we remember that we were sinners in need of grace and that God showed up and gave us grace and he paid the penalty for our sins. And because of him, because of Jesus, we've been made right and clean. And so we remember every week that we died with him and that we have risen with him. Generosity is something you can do right now. You can give online. Uh, this is the starting point. You can start your Elevated Giving now for Be Good News. Uh, we so appreciate your generosity and the impact it's making in our community. We also have a prayer movement, and we're going to do something different this week. Uh, right now, many of you are going to be watching uh, the kids' worship that follows. There will be some worship songs that follow this, and then there will be some kids' worship that follows that. Uh, during that time, a lot of our kids will watch and a lot of our parents have some free time. We're gonna open up just for a few minutes after the service today, after the, the worship is done today, uh, a Zoom prayer room. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be there this week in the Zoom prayer room. You can jump in. There might be others that jump in. That's totally okay. And we're just gonna have kind of open time of prayer. So if you need prayer today, you can jump into the Zoom prayer room. There'll be a link on the live feed uh, for that prayer room. Uh, we've been concluding with a prayer uh, that we pray together as a way for us all to be together uh, in, in, in unison, even though we are separate. And so let's pray together uh, this prayer, church. Jesus, we confess at New City Church our desire is that there be no ethnic, class, or cultural division among us. Jesus, you are our everything. Free our minds from earthly, self-centered thinking. Lead us to do everything in your name with thanksgiving. Amen. God bless.